Welcome to the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to be reviewing the book, Creating the Mom's Group You've Been Looking For by Jill Savage. Then we'll be doing our parenting deep dive for the day, natural family planning, health tips, and fertility. We'll be talking mothercraft and much more on the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. Our book review for this week is Creating the Mom's Group You've Been Looking For by Jill Savage. I've been reading a lot of Jill Savage's work lately. I've got her book, Professionalizing Motherhood, as well as Creating the Mom's Group You've Been Looking For and Living with Less So Your Family Can Have More. These are slightly old-fashioned books, but I still think they have a lot to offer. I'm very interested in the profession of motherhood as a choice, and that's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast. In any case, Creating the Mom's Group You've Been Looking For is an excellent resource for anyone who's looking for companionship and motherhood. As she called it, Where Are My Coworkers? She had to create coworker or peer groups that she could support herself, as she puts it, in her profession of motherhood. There are lots of interesting ideas about ways to build groups in there, including building Bible study groups or uh, book club groups, as well as some options for you know built-in childcare, such as having the dads upstairs watching the kids one week while the moms have a more adult conversation downstairs and then swapping. So the next week, the moms will be upstairs watching the kids and just hanging out, and downstairs the dads can be having their book club or whatever more serious topic they they want to have. So that was really a great way where, you know, built-in childcare, everyone's getting to socialize a little bit, but some people are getting a little more kid-free time, and I think that that all sounds really exciting. She also had lots of ideas about co-ops, including, you know, swapping childcare co-ops where one week, you know, you look after their kids, and ideally if your kids are the same age, that's great, they can play together, and the next week, you know, they take your kids and you get to go on a date night. So especially if you're in a place where you don't have a lot of family support and you're not able to afford sitters all the time, um, you can definitely, you know, set up for, for those kind of swaps. She also talks about the idea that you might be able to trade for longer than you would be able to pay for a sitter. So if you did want to go for an overnight date, uh, you can trade somebody for, you know, a sleepover and then you'll get some private time with your husband. One idea that I just loved from this was cleaning co-ops. So for me, laundry is definitely the thing that I'm not a big fan of. If I can do it while I'm watching TV, that's fine. But otherwise, even honestly, when I'm watching TV, sometimes it just gets forgotten. And so there'll be piles of clean laundry lying around our house. But she says, you know, set up with a friend. And if you can arrange for childcare or something else, that's great. Or do while the kids are at school. And if not, you know, just have the kids around and you just have to manage that. But if you can, to go ahead and trade with somebody so that one day, like, they come over and you clean your house, and the next day you go over to their house and clean their whole house. Of course, it does involve somebody seeing your dirty underwear and your dirty toilets or whatever else, so you want to make sure they're a good friend and they're not going to be judgmental about it. But the idea that, you know, you can still do the work that you need to do, you can do it in a shorter amount of time and with a lot more fun, and that sounded great to me because... My first job actually was as a housekeeper in a hotel. I really enjoyed working with my coworkers there. We used to work in teams and go ahead and clean all the rooms and the bathrooms and everything. And it was just a joy. We were always chatting and having fun and it was just a lot of fun. So if I could make my housework feel like that because one of my big problems is just feeling lonely sometimes when I'm doing that kind of work that's not very exciting. So it would be great to have somebody to trade with 
Jill Savage also had a really interesting idea of doing mentoring or accountability relationships one-to-one. So that's just kind of like having a sponsor in a 12-step group or having a mentor in any situation where you would just kind of approach your mom and say, hey, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here. I'm still learning and I really like the way you're parenting or I really like the way your marriage looks and, you know, get them to kind of guide you and talk with you about some of the issues that you're having. She suggested in those uh, situations to set a six-month kind of commitment so you get enough time to get to know each other and get through that awkward stage, but also um, that you're not taking on a huge long commitment or, you know, if you don't get along, then at least you have an outdate. So, um, or if it's too much for you as the mentor mother or, you know, whatever. So mentees and mentors can both benefit from a limited time frame if they want to move on. That's not a big deal. She told a story about one where she was mentoring a young woman who was just kind of overwhelmed with mothering and just wanted to you know, get a little advice in that area. And they would meet at 6 a.m. at one of their houses where the husband of one family was still home and her, um, the young newborn of the other family was still sleeping. So they had that kind of like hour window from six to seven where they could still have some private time without the kids involved. Um, so just being creative with those kind of things seems really appealing to me. And I just thought I'd throw it out there as, you know, something that you may not have heard of because it's an older book, but I've enjoyed it. Okay, so now we're moving on to our next topic, which is natural family planning, health tips, and fertility. I kind of threw them all three in there because my husband pointed out that somebody who just had a baby may not be interested in fertility. I do know that some people struggle with secondary fertility where, you know, they have um, one or two children and then they're trying to have another and they're just not able to. Uh, and then they seek fertility treatment for that. So I thought I'd throw that in there. I think it's still something that even if I wasn't trying to have kids right now, I'd still find it interesting because it's just kind of an interesting health topic. Um, but I also wanted to throw in some things for um, for everyone. So we've got kind of three topics split up here in our deep dive today. Okay, so our first topic is natural family planning. And natural family planning is basically planning your um, sex life around your ovulation. So there's a few tools that you use to uh, measure your cycles. And one of them is uh, taking your temperature every morning. So it doesn't work super well when you have a brand new baby and you're not sleeping at all through the night. But you can, you know, even if you have off nights, you can usually get into a routine where you can kind of predict what's happening. They say that a five-hour window of sleep is enough to take your temperature in the morning. So as long as you're getting a five-hour window of sleep, you can go ahead and use this method. It does take a little bit of discipline because you can't, you know, get up and go to the bathroom and then take your temperature. It has to be like right when you wake up, you take your temperature and then you write it down. There's a really great book I mentioned before in the Nourishing Traditions theme, and it's called Honoring Our Cycle, a Natural Family Planning Workbook. And so it has a lot of uh, little sort of graphs in the back where you can fill them out as you go with your temperature and you can kind of visually see your cycle. And so basically the idea is that when you are ovulating, the temperature will go up. So, you know, you'll be floating along kind of like here and there, and then all of a sudden your temperature will spike and you'll have a higher temperature for the remainder of the month. It's not like a huge difference, but it will be a noticeable difference. It's, um, you know, 0.3 or 4 degrees or whatever it is. So make sure you follow what it says in that book about what you should be looking for, but you can definitely see it. Once I started doing it, um, I really did notice, you know, I could kind of tell what was happening. 
And the great thing about this method is that you know what you, what's happening with your cycle. So if I was under stress, sometimes I would have a longer follicular phase. So that's the phase before you ovulate. So my follicular phase would vary quite a bit. You know, sometimes it was as short as maybe 11 or 12 days. And sometimes it was as long as, you know, 15 or 16 days. And that's not a big deal. That can fluctuate and it can be, you know, if you have a big stressor, sometimes you'll ovulate a little bit later. It's not a big deal. But for me, my cycle did change quite a bit over time. So some months I would have a like a 25 day cycle and sometimes I would have a 31 day cycle. So those were basically my high and low range. But if I was just basing my cycle off of the regular 28 day cycle, I would be missing that um, ovulation period. So whether you're trying to use this method to avoid getting pregnant or to get pregnant, it's a good idea to know when you're ovulating. But your luteal phase, so that's the phase after you ovulate, is usually about the same. So you'll have 11, for me it was 11 days, uh, was my luteal phase from when I ovulated to when I had my menstruation. So I could always count on that. And when I was late a few days, it was like, ooh, yeah, okay, I know that something is going on. Maybe I'm pregnant because I was tracking that really carefully and knowing that that length of time was regular. So yes, you can use natural family planning to either um, uh, try to avoid getting pregnant or try to get pregnant. Basically, the idea is you know when you're ovulating and if you're trying to avoid getting pregnant, you would avoid having sex around your ovulation. So it's like three to five days before your ovulation, you would avoid. Or if you were trying to get pregnant, you would try and have sex on those days. And just an interesting note, uh, this came from the book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. And this is a great resource as well if you're interested. Just a fun fact here, but basically the sex of the baby is determined by the sperm, obviously, uh, whether it's a female or a male sperm. And the male sperm are faster, so they get to the egg faster. So if you have sex on the day of your ovulation, you are more likely to have a boy because the boys are gonna get there faster. But if you have sex a few days before, your ovulation, you're more likely to have a female uh, baby because this female sperm, while they're slower, they do live longer. So when we got pregnant, I was like, you know, calculating my days uh, before my ovulation and we had sex about three days before I ovulated. And so I was thinking, well, it's probably going to be a girl because of that reason, because the girl sperms live a little bit longer. And I don't know, this is kind of a funny little thing. We didn't like try for a girl or a boy. Next time we might because my husband does really want to have a son eventually. But uh, that was just something that I thought was interesting and we did end up having a little girl. So basically the idea of natural family planning is that you're tracking your ovulation and then you know when to either have sex if you're trying or to avoid sex if you're not trying or you're trying not to have a baby. There are some really great advantages to this method. One is just you're getting to know your body better and you can tell you know, if you're stressed then you may, your cycle will reflect that. And if you have some infertility issues, you're gonna find that out by tracking your cycle as well. So you're gonna see that you're not having that temperature spike and you're not having that ovulation. And so then you can start to take steps and you can see if some, the things you're doing are improving your chances and you don't have to pay for any fertility testing. And hopefully you can improve your health just through diet and other changes that I'm going to discuss later so that you can uh, improve your chances of having a healthy child without uh, resorting to IVF and all those expensive, challenging fertility treatments. 
But before we go into our fertility tips, I just wanted to mention that there are a few other things that are quite intimate that you're going to be measuring along with your temperature, including cervical fluid and the position of your cervix. So those are things that if you're not super comfortable um, feeling around inside your body, then maybe this isn't going to be the method for you. It also seems to help improve the cohesiveness of the relationship. So they found that the divorce rate was actually less in couples that did natural family planning. Because there's a lot of communication going on around your cycles and your sex life, other benefits include that you don't have to use protection, assuming this is like a long-term partner like your husband. You don't have to use protection during times when you're not ovulating because you know you're not fertile right then. It depends on how strict you are about not wanting a child. If you're 100% sure that you don't want a child right now, as we were when we first got together, that um, we did start using some less reliable methods, so some spermicide or the diaphragm. Just as a little aside, uh, my diaphragm is called the Kaya, and it's available over the counter without a doctor appointment or a prescription. So that's kind of cool. It's not available in the US, and that's just like a crazy kind of pharmaceutical company thing, I think. But you can get it from Europe and get it shipped over here, and it's not that expensive. It was like 60 bucks or something like that. That, along with some spermicidal gel, works really well, and then again, you're not using a con or anything like that and for me it was really really important to not use any hormonal treatments or um, like the pill I also have had an IUD in the past the copper IUD and I'll talk a little bit about why I'm not a big fan of that either but there are ways that along with natural family planning you can still be safe in protecting yourself from having a child if you have no idea when you're ovulating, then you might as well use like a very high uh, effective birth control method. But if you are tracking your cycles and you know when you're not fertile, then you can use a less aggressive form of birth control, like for example, the diaphragm, which is a little bit less effective than for example, the pill or um, condoms. But when we know we're not fertile, then we can use those uh, less intrusive methods. And then when we are ovulating. Most people who do natural family planning choose not to have sex at all while they're ovulating if they're um, trying to avoid getting pregnant. But sometimes we did and we would just use like a condom and the diaphragm so we would kind of double up on our protection there. So you know when you need more and more protection and when it's not as big of a deal. Okay so now I am going to go ahead and get into my fertility tips. So the first one, I mentioned that I had a copper IUD. Now copper does prevent pregnancy and it's just something that is um, leads to infertility if your copper zinc balance is off. So that's something that I had had, you know, I was on the pill for seven years during my early um, sort of 18 to 25 years and then I went off of that and I went on to the copper IUD. And the pill also, uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but the pill does deplete you of zinc. And zinc and copper work in conjunction. So if you have a lot of copper, then you're low on zinc. And this was something that you can actually tell uh, in your own body. You know, a really good sign is if your nails have those little white dots in them, those little kind of calcium deposits in your nails. That's actually a zinc deficiency. So I had tons of those in my body and I was using a zinc supplement that was just like your regular, you know, zinc that you would get at the pharmacy for your for colds and stuff and that did not work so no change happened I was still getting tons of those little white um, marks in my nails when I started taking zinc picolinate or zinc orotate so those are just different substances that the zinc is bound to and makes it more bioavailable so your body can use it more when I take those either of those I do not get those little white dots so I can tell that I'm actually absorbing them. It's interesting because just around the time that I 
uh, gave birth. I don't know if I just forgot to take my zinc or if it just like giving birth takes a huge amount of zinc out of your body. Maybe that's the case. But I did notice that, you know, just as my nails were starting to grow out at that time, I did get some little calcium deposits and now they're gone again. Um, they grew out. So it was a mark in my health that when I gave birth, for some reason, my zinc was low. So I think zinc is really important for the function of the body and for fertility in general. So if you have been on birth control or if you have an IUD, it's really important to get your zinc up. And so, you know, stop drinking out of any copper cups or anything like that. You don't need to be taking copper. This is one of the reasons that I didn't take a prenatal that was like pre-made. I took individual pills because I didn't want to be taking copper. I knew that my body was deficient in zinc, so I didn't want to take copper to kind of make it harder for my body to absorb that zinc. Again, I'll put the disclosure out there that I am not a doctor and these are not like medical advice in any way. I'm just kind of giving you things that I've gleaned from my readings. And I definitely recommend that you talk to your doctor, especially if you're pregnant and make sure you're getting the things you need. So this idea of the zinc and copper balance was brought to my attention through the book Brighton Baby. The full title is Brighton Baby, a Revolutionary Organic Approach to Having an Extraordinary Child. And this is written by Roy Dittman. And it is a pretty intense book, I will warn you. But if you are interested in fertility and improving your fertility without uh, costly IVF and all the stress that, that goes with that, I would recommend getting it. It is a huge book. It's a, it's a tome. It's a huge, huge book. And there is a lot of information in there. And it can feel totally overwhelming. But I did find it helpful. It was positive in its overall approach. Now, he recommended actually getting your hair tested for heavy metals and your mineral balance. I knew that my zinc was low because of the little um, clots in my nails already. So that was one thing that I didn't end up spending the money on. So my first fertility tip, I guess, would be to try and get your zinc copper balance in order. And if you've been on birth control, like I said, or if you've had an IUD, it's a really good idea to get some zinc in your body. Again, checking with your doctor. The next one is, of course, avoiding birth control. So if you've just gotten pregnant after uh, being on birth control or like skipping a few pills or something like that, I would definitely, you know, talk to your doctor, get some zinc tested and get some zinc into your body while you're pregnant too, because I think it is something that your body really needs during pregnancy. Of course, avoiding stress. So one of the things that one of my books talked about was the idea that a lot of the times, you know, if a couple is really trying, they're doing IVF, they're doing everything and they're trying to have a baby and it's like really stressful, they finally give up and just decide they're not going to have a baby anymore. And of course, they're not using any birth control because they figure they're infertile. And of course, you get this surprise baby. So it doesn't always happen, but a lot of times it'll happen that once you let go and reduce that stress, then you're able to get pregnant. So reducing stress, not exactly revolutionary, but still something to worth mentioning. So that's uh, fertility tip number two. Number three is to avoid caffeine. I know this is a big deal for some people, but I did cut out caffeine about nine months before I got pregnant. And there was this interesting study that was in the Brighton Baby book, and I don't have it in front of me because it's in storage. But from my memory, I can recall that there was a study in there about people trying to get pregnant. And women who were unable to get pregnant with by any means, then they uh, cut out coffee and all caffeine, including chocolate, which I know is really sad. And I haven't done that. I did cut out all coffee and tea and all that, but I did not cut out uh, chocolate. But just cutting down your caffeine by a really extreme margin and they were able to get pregnant. So I, I don't recall the study 100%, but it was a very extreme 
that, you know, women went from being totally infertile to totally fertile just by cutting out caffeine. So that is something you can definitely try. It is obviously maybe not easy, but so simple and so accessible and so cheap. Obviously, you're going to be saving some money. So definitely, definitely something to try if you're trying to get pregnant. Next one, of course, is eating well. So that's going to include, you know, grass-fed meats, grass-fed butter, all that good stuff. I really have enjoyed um, the Kerrygold butter. They sell that at Walmart now, and that's really great. I have a lot of butter in my diet. And the last one is actually fasting. So right before I got pregnant, I did a five-day fast, and I had done a couple of like one-day or two-day fasts prior to that as well. But I did a full five-day fast, and I mean, it was challenging. It was during the middle of a snowstorm, so I wasn't going to be able to go anywhere anyway. So that worked out well. And again, this would be something you would definitely want to do. Make sure you're definitely, definitely not pregnant before you do this, because it would not be good for you while you're pregnant. And check with your doctor, of course. But I got the book, The Ultimate Guide to Fasting by Jason Fung. And I watched a ton of YouTube videos of his, as well as some documentaries on, uh, on Amazon and, and Netflix and things like that. And basically, um, it's not that hard. You just don't eat. <laughs> there is some debate about whether or not you should be ingesting like minerals or salt or, you know, just doing a reduced calorie diet or doing a keto diet. There's all kinds of craziness. But there was this study that was talked about in one of the documentaries that I read. I think it was also mentioned in Brighton Baby now that I think about it. But basically they had mice that they starved. So they starved them for a full day, which is a long time for a mouse. <laughs> and then they measured their fertility. And they found that the mice that were fasting actually produced a better quality egg when they ovulated. So it's kind of an interesting, like nuanced thing because women are born with all of the eggs that they'll ever have, but they release eggs uh, throughout their cycle. So every time they have a cycle, they release an egg and when they run out of eggs, they go through menopause. And so one of the worries that uh, of an older woman might face is that is she producing a less you know high quality egg? Therefore, her child might have some developmental issues. That's something that you know puts you at risk when you're older. I don't know whether or not this could be reduced in terms of like your risk of autism or your risk of Down syndrome or something like that could be reduced if you did some fasting before you got pregnant. But that's kind of an interesting point is that the egg that was released by the rats in the cycle after they did the fast was a higher quality egg than they would produce on average. So just an interesting fact, but something that I don't know whether or not that affected my, you know, production of a super high quality egg who became my daughter. But um, that was something I was just into at the time. And, you know, it worked out well. I, was, I got pregnant pretty quickly after I was fasting. Another thing that's mentioned in the Honoring Our Cycles book is the idea of affecting your fertility through light. So this is pretty well known that, you know, you're more likely to ovulate when there's a full moon. And if you don't have access to a full moon uh, and if your room is not dark the rest of the time, it won't really work. So you want to get your room super, super dark all the time. And that's sort of a challenge, but it's something that's worth trying to do because it really increases your quality of sleep and overall health. And then when you think you should be ovulating, you can open the blinds and let the light in. So it's something, night lighting is what they call it, and it can actually increase your fertility as well. 
Okay, those are all my fertility tips, and now I'm just going to move on to some general health tips for everyone out there. And again, I am not a doctor. This is not something that I am you know, prescribing to you in any way. I just have picked up on some things that I've incorporated into my life. There's way more things out there that I sort of wish I was doing, but I'm not really doing, but just something um, that I wanted to share with you. Okay, so one I'm super paranoid about is EMF, so that's electromagnetic frequencies like your cell phone and your Wi-Fi and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, it's everywhere, and if you start you know, really focusing on it, it can kind of drive you crazy because it is everywhere. But there are things that you can do to reduce your risk of complications. I'm not 100% sure what those are, but people talk about a lot of different things that they feel as a result of being around EMFs. And so the big one that is very highly recommended by a lot of people is to shut off your Wi-Fi at night. It's a pretty simple, easy fix. So have your Wi-Fi on during the day. You can still do all your devices and then just unplug your Wi-Fi at night. It's simple, easy fix, low cost, et cetera, et cetera. One step higher would be to actually just wire everything. So to not have Wi-Fi, but I know that's a big deal. And in some places, you know, you need your Wi-Fi. So fair enough, but just unplug it at night. The other thing is that when you're carrying your cell phone on your body, if you don't need it on, like when I'm listening to my audiobooks and podcasts and stuff, I'll download them onto my phone and then I'll put it on airplane mode. It does reduce the amount of signal that it's getting. So when I don't need to be receiving any calls, I'll go ahead and just put it on airplane mode. And I know there's a little bit less of that radiation happening in my body. I also try never to carry the phone on me. I try and carry it you know, in a bag or away from my body as much as possible. I thought a lot about getting cases that block EMFs and all this stuff, but I could not for the life of me really figure it out because some people say that it actually increases your risk because then your phone is working twice as hard to get its signal and then it's producing more radiation and blah, blah, blah. So I just never even really bothered with that. This is a little aside, but I actually like bought some EMF blocking fabric for my baby and I was like, oh, we're going to make a hat out of this. We're going to, you know, have a blanket that's like an EMF blocking blanket that I can use. And I did use it while I was pregnant, but once the baby's in the world, it's like, A, I don't want her to wear a hat constantly. She's not going to be like sitting under a blanket the entire time. So it was pretty much impossible to figure out a way that was going to use it unless I like coat every single outfit that she has in this silver fabric. But Basically, it didn't work. Um, I think it's a great thing to do while you're pregnant and you can protect her and she's all still and, you know, safe inside you. But when she's out in the world, it's pretty impossible other than just avoiding letting her have the cell phone and touch the cell phone and all that stuff. Of course, that leads me to not using the cell phone next to your head. So I always use headphones and my headphones are air tube headphones. So actually, there's no like wire in the part that goes up to my ear. It's just literally an air tube of plastic, just a tube filled with air that allows a sound to get to your ear. Uh, it is not the highest quality sound, but luckily I really don't listen to music with it. I mostly just either talk on the phone or listen to podcasts or audiobooks, And so it does not really affect the sound quality in those instances. Okay, some other big ones that I thought I would share. I can't go on forever, so I'm gonna try and just pick my most um, interesting ones maybe from here. And so the next one is trying to get rid of fluoride in your water. So if your city puts fluoride in your water and in our area, the county puts fluoride in some water and not in others, so you have to check your area and figure that out. But 
for various reasons, like fluoride on your toothpaste is one thing, but if you're swallowing it, it's not that great for your stomach. So there's no reason to be swallowing it. You can just put it in your mouth, you know, use a mouthwash. Um, Act mouthwash has fluoride in it, so you can avoid going to the dentist. Okay, this is just an aside. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I just went to the dentist this morning because I'm having some tooth pain and it's just kind of like tooth pain all over. And he basically told me that it was because I'm clenching my teeth because of the way I'm holding my baby, it's putting more pressure on my neck, more pressure on my jaw, and I'm just clenching my jaw. So we're working on that. But basically he said, you know, how long has it been since you've been to the dentist? And I'm like, four years. And the only reason I went to the dentist four years ago was because I got in a car accident and was having some tooth pain, but it was actually muscle pain referring into my teeth. Once I got that resolved, the tooth pain went away. So four years ago, I went just to make sure that my teeth were not rotting out of my skull. And today I went for the exact same reason, just to get those x-rays, make sure that my teeth are not rotting out of my skull. And he said that they were great teeth. They were super clean and you know, they looked really great, which is pretty impressive considering yeah, I haven't actually been to the dentist for a cleaning in probably, oh, six years or more. So yes, overall, you don't need fluoride in your water. If you want fluoride in your mouth, then use ACT toothpaste. That's just A-C-T, ACT. And you can get that at Walmart or online at Amazon or wherever you like to get things. And it's uh, it has fluoride in it. You can just swish it in your mouth for 30 seconds and then avoid paying for the dentist. So if you don't like the dentist, uh, just go ahead and use ACT mouthwash. That's one thing. Again, not a doctor. I'm just giving you my experience, not medical advice. But um, that is a way to get fluoride without doing your, you know, six-month cleaning. In any case, you don't need fluoride in your water that you're swallowing and that's going into your stomach. It does increase the risk of stomach cancers and just, I just don't think it's great for you all over the place. I'm not going to go into, you know, crazy la la land, but it does increase risk of stomach cancer. So I would just try to avoid that if you can. Now, up until very recently, I thought that there was no way to filter out fluoride. It's a very small particle, doesn't get filtered out easily. And so I thought, okay, great. I'm just going to have to buy bottled water when I move to an area that was fluoridated. But I have found online that there is a filter that filters out fluoride. It's called the Pro Pure Water Filter. That's P-R-O-P-U-R, P-R-O-P-U-R. And it's just a really simple, it's just like, looks like ceramic and it filters out uh, fluoride. And I've been using it um, when I first moved to this area. I was pregnant and just super paranoid about that. So I made sure that I got that. I got the countertop one, which is really, you know, not expensive. I think it was like $60 and, you know, you put it on your counter, you fill it up with water, you wait. You do have to kind of plan ahead because it does take a while to filter through, which is a good thing because it's filtering. And there's some tricky things about the design that you can get used to over time about like how to pour it and everything to make sure you're not getting the unfiltered water in your poured out water. But overall, it's a great product. I've been really happy with it and you can get, you know, bigger sizes or you can get ones that go under your sink. But just for my situation, we've been using the one that's on the countertop. So I mentioned already some teeth health tips. Now I got this uh, idea from Dr. Ellie Phillips, who's a dentist and she's online and she is pretty awesome. She just has a really great oral health routine and this involves three different mouthwashes. So you do a, um, like a basic mouthwash that is going to make your teeth not acidic. So if you've eaten something acidic, it's not going to erode your enamel when you're brushing your teeth. And then you swish with ACT, which is a fluoride mouthwash. And then you uh, swish with Listerine, which is uh, antibacterial mouthwash. 
Now, I have actually cut out the Listerine and I cut out the Act during pregnancy as well, but I was using those for a long time. But the Listerine, there was something about it that I read on Dr. Mercola's website where um, people who use a alcohol-based mouthwash are more likely to have clogged arteries. I'm not sure what it is about the bacteria in your mouth that make you more likely to have clogged arteries, but that is something that I was not interested in. So I've stopped using the Listerine and I was also worried that that might affect my teeth, but it didn't seem to. So the other big, big tip, whether or not you do all those uh, mouthwashes, because like I said, since I've been pregnant, I really dropped all of those, but I use xylitol. Xylitol is a uh, alcohol-based sweetener. It's sweet. It's delicious. It tastes wonderful. Don't go and eat a bunch of it because it will give you a stomach ache. But what I do is I just have little crystallized xylitol in my closet. And every time I walk by, I'll just grab a little pinch and swish it around in my mouth. This is not the most efficient thing uh, now because I'm concerned about the tooth pain that I'm getting. I just want to make sure everything's working super well. So I'm going to get xylitol mints. Because I have a TMJ disorder, I'm not going to be using gum, but you could also use xylitol sweetened gum, which is great for healing cavities. Now, one of the reasons I haven't gone to dentists in so long is because it's frustrating to me that when I go in with a cavity, I've had dentists just say, well, you just got to wait and wait until it's a cavity and then we'll dig it out. But in truth, if you use xylitol and you use it a lot, you can actually heal that cavity. It's pretty amazing. And then um, basically whatever the xylitol does is it makes your mouth more basic and more favorable to the correct microbial balance or whatever that makes your mouth healthy. My husband was telling me that he was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who's a doctor who's like a big health advocate, I guess you could call her. And she said that she cured a cavity of hers by chewing xylitol gum. She also said that it's been shown through some studies that moms who are nursing, who are chewing xylitol gum, give their babies a better uh, probiotic balance in their gut. So that's kind of interesting too. If you're interested in improving the probiotics of your baby, go ahead and chew some xylitol gum. You can also give xylitol mints to your children, but just be careful, like I said, because it does irritate your stomach if you eat a lot of it. A little bit is not going to kill you. It's not going to hurt you, but if you eat a lot of it, it will give you diarrhea. Okay, I'm running short on time here, so I am just going to go ahead and pick my last favorite, which is activated charcoal. It's supposed to kind of trap toxins, whatever that means, in your body and help you to eliminate those. So whenever I eat something that I feel guilty about, so anything, you know, um, on Mother's Day, for example, we ended up getting uh, Dairy Queen, and I felt pretty bad about that because, wow, who knows what's in Dairy Queen, but I just ended up taking some activated charcoal, and that helps me feel like, okay, whatever I'm eating, I'll eat it, the charcoal along with it if I can, and that helps me to um, detox from whatever it is that I'm putting into my body and hopefully not affecting my baby with whatever's going into the milk as well. So for me, what I do is I take the charcoal in the middle of the night. Luckily right now I'm getting up a lot in the middle of the night, so I can always do that. If you're sleeping through the night, I wouldn't wake yourself up to take it, but you can take it away from meals. Um, that's a good option if you're eating healthful meals. You want to take it away from those foods because it does prevent the absorption of some minerals. If you're taking it with a meal that you feel really guilty about that has a lot of junk in it, then that is a good option as well. Okay, so those are all my health tips for now. I'll give you my mother craft for the week is uh, trying to reduce my stress. So like I said, I went to the dentist and he was like, yep, you're just clenching your jaw and that's why you are having some tooth pain. 
So to try and reduce my tooth pain, I am now trying to reduce my stress. And my chiropractor recommended an app called the Insight Timer. And you can just get it for free on whatever app store. And you can download it. And I did my first one today. And so, you know, it comes with all kinds of ones for free. You can do like five minute ones or half hour ones or whatever you want. And there's different people leading them. So I'm trying to do a meditation or a mindfulness session at least once a day to try and reduce my stress and hopefully reduce my jaw pain. My stuff I like for this week is the podcast Thinking Love, which is a Charlotte Mason homeschooling podcast and the hosts are really sweet and it's just a very fun sort of interesting insight into that method of homeschooling. Well, that's all we have for today on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have any questions at all, go ahead and send them to me over at Meaning in Motherhood on Instagram. And I look forward to seeing you next week on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast.